This is Bernard Hiller, and welcome to the Actor's Guide to Success podcast. I'm an acting teacher, producer, screenwriter, life coach, business trainer, and author of the acting and success book, Stop Acting, Start Living. We are storytellers. We are people who, who can actually make a massive difference to other people's lives. You have to be studying as an actor like you were studying to be an Olympic swimmer. I've been teaching actors all over the world for the past 20 years, and I've discovered that there are millions of artists who study their craft but never learn how to succeed in their profession. Don't wait around. Like, make it, you know, I, I just always encourage people to take control. Any chance you can to keep acting, whatever you do, it's going to help. You're going to improve. My mission with this podcast is to inspire you and give you the tools you will need to live the life you always wanted. On this show, we will meet incredible personalities from show business and Academy Award winning guests who will share their secrets so you can use them on your journey. You're listening to the Actor's Guide to Success. And I would like to start this podcast with a few pre-recorded interviews from my Los Angeles masterclass that I didn't want you to miss. Our first guest is Oscar-winning director and superhuman being Peter Fairley. He won two Academy Awards, one for writing and one for producing the best picture of the year, Green Book. You also know him from some of my favorite films, which is Dumb and Dumber, and There's Something About Mary. Well, there's something about Peter. I want you to listen to Peter's passion, insight, and knowledge of this incredible business. Ladies and gentlemen, I am beyond excited to introduce to you someone who is really a legendary uh, filmmaker, someone who's made my favorite film and definitely made my favorite film of the year. He is a two-time Oscar winner. He is here for us. He is exhausted. He is tired but he has come to share with you his knowledge and his love, the one, the only. Please welcome Mr. Peter Fairley. first time I ever got announced as a two-time Oscar winner, which is, <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, it does sound yeah, good. it's better than uh, the, uh, what do you call it, winning the uh, uh, Razzie. Yeah, oh, the Razzie <laughs> Award. Won too. You have won that too. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Peter, this is so exciting for, you know, to have you here. Thanks for having me, and I, I really appreciate it. You were so supportive during this whole thing. You know, it's a long run when you start getting into the award season, and it's ups and downs the whole time, but this guy was always a very friendly face and really supportive, so I'm happy to be here. No, 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 I think that you made an important film, not for, just for, uh, you know, for you, but for, the, for America. Oh, thanks. And I'm saying it's an important thing. And I have to tell you a little story that yesterday, uh, I was having lunch and I was telling someone that you were coming, mm -hmm. and she was talking about the movie. And, and she reacted like she started crying 
because she couldn't believe what was happening to Marshall. Was it a famous actress? No, no, just a normal person. Because actually, I got a very unusual, this is a name, I'm dropping a huge name here, I'll tell you up in, in advance. <laughs> Out of the blue, I got a phone call, of, I don't know her, Barbara Streisand. Oh, wow. Yeah, she called me last night, just some, got my number and just tell me how much she liked the movie, but at the end she goes, are you going to Bernard's class tomorrow? No! I swear to God. I said, I, I said, I was shocked. I said, yeah, how do you know that? She, I heard that. I couldn't believe that you could, you have that energy. I was like, no, it's, this is, you're on a high. Are you kidding me? You know. <laughs> well, there you go. Yes. Yeah, no, so, so she knew that, yeah. Yeah. I'm just pressing twins. And I said, come. Oh, yeah. And be here. I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Now he was. She was once interested in a movie that I had written, uh -huh. and I so I've known her, and I know her husband, sort of. Right. You know, he not, was standing right behind her the whole time I was talking to. Oh yeah. Well, he's he's yeah. he's a very good actor too. Oh yeah, James yeah. Brolin. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. You know, you have the most incredible sort of uh, history of how you started. Uh, you come from a place called Rhode Island, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you started not really knowing what you want to do. Is that true? Right. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't one of these kids running around with you know cameras when I was like Spielberg. Was never like eight years old. Okay, here's my second name drops, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> so the other night when we won, Spielberg's one of the producers. So he was at the after party, and and it was unbelievable, you know. And he said, "You've been dreaming about this your whole life." I said, "Well, no, not really." <laughs> I, I swear to God, he goes, but he goes, when you get moved out here, I've been here 30 years, he goes, do you probably, many nights, dreamt about having an Oscar? I said, nah, honestly, I really didn't. I, I said, you know, it never really occurred to me because we're making these comedies and that just wasn't going to be part of it. And right. it, it, wasn't, it wasn't something I thought about and I was more than happy with what we had, you know, being able to make comedies and being out there. But this never crossed my mind to win an Oscar until... Uh, we made this, when we were making the movie, I was looking at these guys thinking, God damn, these guys are good. They might get Oscars. I thought of that, I thought these guys could get Oscars for this, but still, I'm not thinking us. And then when we won Toronto, the Toronto Film Festival, then that's probably the first time I thought, hmm, maybe we could win an Oscar. But it wasn't a lifetime dream, and, and it wasn't making films either. It was in my mid-20s, I was actually a salesman, and, um, and, and I wasn't a very good one. <laughs> and, and I remember, actually, I turned 24. On my birthday at 24, I remember thinking, I I'm getting up there. You know, I'm, I'm not like an, a, you know, a, a teenager anymore. And I'm really, my job was, I, it meant nothing to me. I was just trying to make a couple bucks. And I thought, maybe it's time to, like, commit to something for once in your life. And I'd been thinking for a couple years about writing. But... You know, I'd never written anything, and I'd also, I was an accounting major in college. Right. So I had, it just thing was going through my head like, well, I missed that boat. Next life, maybe I'll be a writer, you know? <laughs> and it just was gnawing at me for a couple years, like, just write, you know, just go do it. And finally, on my 24th birthday, I thought, I remember not being happy with who I was. I was just looking at myself like, what? You're a loser. You do nothing. You have no, you're not committed to anything. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to write. I'll give myself four years if I'm 28 and nothing's happening. Uh, then, you know, at least I know I would have tried. Because that, that was the first thing I ever went for. And 
you know, it's like somebody said, you know, once you um, <clears throat> jump in to your dream, you dive, you commit to that dream, providence comes in. It does, and it does it in weird ways, like like one thing to another to another. First thing is, I'm a waiter. You know, I got a job as a waiter as I was writing, and I wait on a guy, and he's a writer. And I'm like, really, what do you write? And he's this on vacation, a movie writer, and, and he starts, you know, talking to me, and then he, we become friends, and, I'm, and he's telling me, and I start seeing, oh, okay, this is possible. Then I wait on another guy, and I, he goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to write. He goes, well, you should go to school for writing. I said, I already went to college. He goes, well, there's grad school. I said, really, for writing? He says, yeah, there's creative writing, grad school. I didn't know that. I said, but I couldn't get in anyway because my grades in college were horrible. And he said, no, you could just, it's based on your writing. You submit 35 pages. I said, really? So I, I applied to uh, UMass Amherst, got in there in the creative writing program. My first week there, I thought, uh, by the way, sorry I'm giving short answers. No, 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 I love it. You're, listen, we have you here for the next six no, hours. Cool. It's for um, six hours okay. we're here. So, uh, so no problem. The, uh, uh, that first week, I asked the, the teacher, I said, um, how many guys from last year's program, because we were writing books. I was working on a novel, and people were writing short stories, way beyond before screenplays. I said, how many of the guys from last, you know, students from last year got their books published? And he said, none. I was like, what? I thought you just wrote books and you got them published. He says, no, we had a guy seven years ago got a book published. I was like, seven years ago? He goes, it's hard to get a book published. I said, oh, okay. So I remember right away thinking, I got to transfer to a better program. <laughs> so I looked into it and I transferred to Columbia. And um, uh, so I'm like going up, and in there, by the way, I had 20 people in my class, 15 had their books published within four years of us graduating. Wow. It was a whole different world, and you know, anyway, one thing led to another, blah, blah, blah. But you, you also wrote novels. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote a novel. My book got published, it was called Outside Providence. And while I was there, um, I met a buddy of mine, Bennett Yellen, who I met at UMass, and we were thinking, boy, this novel stuff's hard. It takes forever. You know, you two, three years to write a book, and you're going to get 10 grand. You know, it's hard to make a living. Mm. Um, and so we thought we should write a screenplay because we knew our dialogue was pretty good. And so we got together and we wrote a thing. It was called Dust to Dust. We wrote it in about three weeks, just whipped it out. And it was kind of an early version of Dumb and Dumber. Uh, like there were a lot of scenes right in there, like the bird's head falling off, all that kind of stuff that were in, in there. And we uh, got it out to some people, and uh, the Zucker brothers read it, who had done, like, Airplane and yeah. those things. And they said, come on. They flew us out. They said, we want you to write a screenplay. And suddenly I was in the biz. Uh, wow. That's how you started? That was my first job. Uh, yes. And tel for television? Or uh, no, they had us write a screenplay. Then I, I got here, and for nine years I was writing screenplays, like, getting paid to. I was pitching them, you know, setting them up all over town, but couldn't get any made. Nine years until... Dumb and Dumber was the first one. The first one you made, but you did that with your brother, right? My brother jumped on board around then. When did he, when is his writing thinking that he wanted to be a writer? I mean, how did you guys decide? I pulled him in. He was out, he was selling round beach towels. <laughs> yeah, they invented the world's first round beach towel. And it was called Sunspot. 
And the idea was, you know, as the sun moves, rather than move your towel, you just move your body. <laughs> but it turns out people don't mind moving their body. They get up. So why, why not do that, you know? And, um, and, and they were trying to do that until, uh, and they actually got a patent pending, you know, on the round towel. Until, because they figured, you know, brands, you know, Coke and Budweiser, you know, it'd be a nice advertising thing. And then they, somebody sued them, said, you can't, you know, you can't patent a round towel. So they went to court and the, the judge uh, ruled against them. In his ruling, he said, let, let me get this straight. He said, are you, are you trying to patent the circle? <laughs> like, towel. <laughs> like, No. You can't pat in a circle. You know, that was that. But all of a sudden, but he had incredible writing abilities. Yeah, well, no. He was like, he, my brother was hilarious. And whenever I wrote a screenplay, I always gave it to him. And he'd go through it and he'd punch it up and he'd say, take that, I don't like this, move that. And he had been doing that for me for three, four years. And then when his towel company got, you know, I said, why don't you, why don't you write with us? So he came in and it was me, him, and Bennett Yellen. Unbelievable. Yeah. Now, the first film that you were so successful is Dumb and Dumber. Yes. But what's interesting is that the title made people not want to read it. I, but yeah. no one, he couldn't get anyone no. to do this movie because it's called Dumb and Dumber, and nobody wants to be in a movie called Dumb and Dumber. Yes. And, it, like, now, you know, it's not what it is now. Like, then I give it to guys again. I'm not going to give Dumb and Dumber to my client. They'll fire me. I was like, all right. <laughs> so so we, uh, we changed the title to A Power Tool is Not a Toy, which was a, 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 a song I had heard um, uh, by this band called The Young Adults. And um, so we called it that, and everybody thought, wow, what a cool name. And they started, started reading it. Everybody read it, and then we got Jim Carrey, and then we went back to Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Yeah. Let's hear for that. Yeah. 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 You know, what, what interests me is what makes you run? What is it that keeps you going? Because you have this great personality. Oh, thanks. And you just sort of bounce back. Even all the things that are happening with this movie, yeah. it's up yeah. and down, and, you know, they're knocking you, whatever. Yeah. How, do you, how do you keep yourself going? Because you have this great personality and you're just still staying positive. What okay, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to go into this a lot because I'm not a religious guy at all. I'm right. not. But when I quit my job to be a writer, there was, you know, it's just me and all alone. My friends thought I lost my mind. You know, they're like, what are you doing? I was like, uh, writing. They're like, oh, Hemingway all of a sudden. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, and why do people want to read your shit piece? I was like, yeah. You, that's part of like what you're doing. You all, you probably all know this. Yeah. When when you committed to what you're doing, you get ridiculed. You know, like because and by the way, odds are against you. Like you're getting into something that's not a sure thing at all. So it takes a lot of courage, uh, but and that to overcome that fear. You know, it's a lot of fear. Like Jesus, what am I doing? This is odds are it's not going to work out, right? But that that fear is your friend because if not for that fear. Everybody in the world would do what you did. Right. They would. They all have that. They can't do it. They're like, eh, not going to do that. I'm going to go get a regular job. You know, most people. And when I did my thing, you know, I had no, nobody, my friends think I lost my mind. It made no sense that I was writing. I wasn't even a big reader, you know, and it was just like I could, I like telling, like my friends and I, I knew I could be witty and I thought, you know, let me just try this. And, um, 
And I remember in the like at night, I'd be all pumped up, like you know, as I'm writing away, and I'm thinking, this is getting good, you know, all jazz. But in the morning, I'd wake up, like, oh fuck, you idiot, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you're sitting in like some motel room that I'm renting for like ten dollars a night because it's off seasons on Cape Cod, and I got a hot plate. And I got no, nothing in my life except for just me, and I started praying. And I would pray, like, God, just help me, lead me, please. You know? <laughs> it's just, I got nothing. Just, just take me in the right direction. I swear to God, and I remember, and I look back at it now, and it was like, I do remember feeling like, it's just me and you, whoever you are out there, if you're there, help me out. I swear to God. And, and I always do pray. And, I, and it's not a religious thing at all. It's not like any religion, I don't believe in, you know, whatever, whatever religion you are, it doesn't matter. But I, I did, uh, and I still do that. Like when I get up in the morning, you know, you take your lumps in this business. I'm like, come on, just please help me get through this. I want to be a good guy. You know, I want to spread love, keep positive attitude, help me out, you know? It's unbelievable. Because let's hear from well, you. Well, you are such a man. You are such a man. You are You are really... You are such a, a mensch is the only Thanks. word I can say. Oh, thank you. Where his humanity and, the, and his love of his art, that even all the things that you've been hit, you're still standing. Yeah, well, you got to, you know, you just got to be, you know, you also learn and grow. You're not always right. Like, I fucked up here and there, and you just, sorry, you know, I'm yeah. sorry I want to change and be better. And, you know, like, you know, you just grow, hopefully grow. But, um, you know, it's just... Again, I don't want to go more into that. No, no, no. We don't. I'm not. That's not my thing. It's not like you gotta, you gotta, you know, buy, get a Bible and search. No, it's not that. It's just like. But I. But I. By the, by the way, I do talk about in yeah. my classes yeah. that you couldn't be in in any kind of art form if you're not spiritual because you have to be connected. Because mm. I believe that whatever you're coming is coming from some source. Exactly. It's not coming from you. It's coming no. through you. You have no so, control. So you have to be it. open to I, your instincts, not to your mind, but to your instincts, and that's what. What you're talking yeah, about and to a higher power exactly and i'm wide open to it like i'm like a believer i'm wide open i keep my heart open and it's you know i was the worst student in high school i was the worst student in college i had no but i didn't really you know i wasn't into anything and so when i started writing i knew like i have a disadvantage in that you know i'm a late bloomer you know i'm in my mid-20s and i really haven't i've read like five novels in my life <laughs> I remember, this is a God's honest truth. In my first day of grad school, we went around the, the room and everybody, he asked, uh, what's your favorite book? And, you know, everybody went around and I think mine was a Hardy Boys book or something. No, it wasn't. But it was, uh, it was you know, everybody read, and I wrote down each book and I thought, okay, I gotta read all these. I gotta catch up. And I started reading like a lunatic. Like I would, you know, it was just me. Again, it was all by myself. So on the weekends, I'd read two, three books. But I remember somebody said their favorite book was The Great Gatsby. And I, I read it, and for some reason, I had gotten it in my head that The Great Gatsby was a pirate ship. <laughs> I just thought it was this big pirate ship. Who the hell knows why I got that? When I was a little kid, I heard it, thought it was a pirate ship. And I'm, I'm like three quarters of the way through, and like, where the f is this ship? <laughs> when does he get the ship? <laughs> so God's out of truth. I mean, I was... I was that bad. I knew nothing. I, and, and, and so I always came in knowing... You, I got to work harder. I better because everybody else, they had studied English or English lit and, you know, they seemed to have an advantage. So I just outworked them kind of. I just kept, you know, reading and reading and reading and reading anything I'd catch, you know, I just wanted to catch up. And, and also that's the idea of like, of writing is that 
where does it come from? You know, why does a band have five great albums in seven years and then nothing? It just falls off. Because it stopped. And it, you have no set, you have no, you kind of have no say. You gotta hope it comes, be open to it, and don't quit on it. You know, like people have asked me, you ever get writer's block? No, I mean, that's my natural state is writer's block. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's hard. But you just keep going. You know, every day I sit down, fuck, got nothing. Okay, let's think, what do we have? And then you work through it until there's something coming. And you start with a little, like I always say, I'd rather write shit than nothing. Because shit, you got something to work with. You could make it less shitty and then not horrible, and then decent, and then pretty good, and then good, and then very good, and then excellent. But you got to start with shit. No, when you read a book it, or a screenplay and you think, wow, I can never do this. Well, don't forget, that guy didn't start, that person didn't start with that. They started with shit <laughs> that they fix and 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 fix, and fix until it's decent. And you see it. And when it starts getting good, you start feeling it, you know. And uh, so, yeah, you got to just be open because it's not, it's not. I don't know where it's coming from, but it's not like, you know, you got to be open to it. It's from the universe. Is there any suggestions that you could give to writers? Because we have several writers here. Any yeah. kind of suggestions that you can give besides being open? Anything, any kind of writing information? I mean, because you also won an Academy Award for, for Best Screenplay, right? Let's hear it for Peter for that. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it... Um, I mean, for a person who wasn't a writer, you just won an Academy Award for writing. Yeah, well, one thing, I always keep notes. I keep notebooks. You know, because somebody, you hear a line, you do something, anything. You're out, you, some, somebody says something funny you're with. You know, not, not like an old joke you're writing down, but you just hear something. Like, I remember one time I was in a bar, I was getting a beer, and... The guy in front of me was getting a beer, and he looked over, he goes, Seabass, you want a beer? And I thought, that's fucking ridiculous, Seabass? So I wrote it down, name, nickname, Seabass. So then we're writing Dumb and Dumber, and I'd go through my notebooks, I think, oh, hey, there's a good name for that guy, we call him Seabass, and you do that. And that's like, you know, you pepper it with stuff that you've saved. Like, it's not all coming at that moment you're writing it. I flip through my notebooks and just look for stuff, like if I'm working on a certain kind of movie, I think, Oh, yeah, this, I'll check them off. That one, I could use something like this. And I keep that list, and then I kind of can write things around it. Sometimes that triggers a, a scene. And I just start doing it because I have a little something that got me going. But that's why I highly recommend keeping notes like that. And I do write them down because if you put them, like, in a, a walkie, you know, a computer or whatever, you know, a dictaphone thing, it, then it's harder to find them. You know, you got to go through everything. And if you have notebooks, you just... You know, you go through them and, you know, I'll, I'll have scraps of paper I used to. Now I put them down, then I write it down. But I had scraps of paper all the time in my pockets. I'm pulling them out like once a month or something and just writing them in my notebooks. Because I'd be out somewhere. Don't forget this. Don't forget that, you know. Um, I, I mean, there's so many things about writing. Uh, so many. Well, if you're a writer, you should have Strunk and White, for one thing. The... It's a little thin book, and it's just about, you know, grammar and all that stuff. Because I got to tell you, if I get a screenplay from somebody and it's not, like, set up correctly or, or the writing, you know, there's, the guys don't know where the commas go or the apostrophes, I'm thinking this guy, this person's not good. It's psychologically, it's harder for me to go on. It's better, you better get 
it's really important to cross the T's and dot the I's, and punctuation is, you know, very rarely does a writer write well with bad punctuation, and one who does is Quentin Tarantino. Apparently, his scripts are un, you know, illegible. <laughs> like, and he writes longhand. He did, and he just hands his the script. And it's a miracle that he's got a career because how do you get started like that? Well, the way he got started is he, you know, raised the money for Reservoir Dogs, his first movie, got that made, that did well, and now he can continue to do it, but it's harder that way. I, if I see something that, I also think that's a lazy writer. If, if, it, if the punctuation isn't right, I'm thinking maybe not the smartest person. You know, I went way out of my way to get every, you know, apostrophe right and words spelled correctly and all that. And again, Strunk and White is just a book. It's called The Elements of Style by Strunk and White. Strunk and White. Yeah, two guys, Strunk uh, e, uh, and, and uh, E.B. White, who did, you know, uh, what do you call it, the spider, Charlotte's Web. Charles Webb, right. And it's just about, you know, traps that people fall into and certain punctuation, you know, things. So that's important. Um, if, you know... Now, uh, if we jump to uh, Green Book for a second, uh, the writing process, you, came, you told me the story mm. that you heard this incredible story yeah. about uh, Doc Shirley right. and... Uh... Yeah, I ran into one of the <coughs> writers, Brian Hayes Curry, who was an right. actor, right. and he told me, I said, what are you up to? He said, I'm going to write a screenplay. I said, oh, good for you. What is it? And he told me the story. I was like, that's fucking home run. Are you kidding? He said, really? I said, total home run. You should write it. Six weeks later, I keep thinking about it, and I'm, I'm, uh, I call him one day. I say, hey, how's that script coming? He goes, which one? I said, the one you told me about. Which one did I tell you about? He said, the, the concert pianist and the bouncer. He goes, oh, uh, yeah, we haven't begun that. I was like, can I write it with you? I can't get this out of my head. So he's really? I said, yeah, but we have to start Monday, because I had like a five-week gap. So let's start Monday. He's like, great. So we got down and, and we wrote it. You know, can I, can I say something? And you've probably told him this a yeah. million times about yeah. acting. Go, I want to Something that, this is probably acting 101, you know, but I have to say, it. like, when I was at Columbia, I took some acting classes just because I wanted to, I didn't want to act, but I wanted to see the, how actors work. And I, and I just sat in the back of the class, actually. I didn't, wasn't, wasn't even enrolled. And Brad Dourif was the uh, teacher. He's, he won the Academy Award for uh, 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 the Cuckoo's Nest. Right. He played Billy Bibbit. The stutterer. The stutterer. And he was amazing. And I remember he did this thing, and I know you guys do this, but I, I'm going to tell you how it... Yeah, I want you to tell me. I want to hear about it. He would have you do a scene. He'd come in, do a scene, and do it. Just, you know, come in and do it. And then he would say, okay, now I want you to do it. And he'd say, and I want you to thread this needle three times while you're doing it. You know, just so you're not concentrating on your words. Yeah. You know, now you're coming in, and you're doing the exact same thing, and, but you have to thread this thing, and you have, like, a certain amount of time, and he's like, just get this thing. And so you're focused on this, but you're still saying the same words, but it's way more natural. Because <laughs> you're not just thinking about those words. You know, you're not just thinking, oh, I have to say this, this, and this. And that's like, the, so the, what I learned from that is I always try to get my guys, my people, actors, actresses, off what they're thinking about. I'm like, okay, this is what I want you to do. During this thing, I want you to count how many people are in this room as you're doing it at the, in the dining room, in the diner here. And then so they're doing it, and they're just looking around doing their thing. Now their brain's working on something else, and they get more natural. It's, a, it's an interesting thing that I've seen a lot, and, and uh, it, it, it works. It gets people, um, you know, if you don't clutter their head too much, it gets them not focused on those words. You don't want to be thinking about that. Right.
you know, and that is also from Sandy Meisner. That's his uh, whole uh, thing is yeah. to do have an activity that is, has your attention yeah. because we're always doing something while we're talking. Right. We're not just standing and talking. Yeah. But all of a sudden you're doing something. There's something about making a salad. Yes, exactly. Very thing. I noticed the a, good actors all find they find yeah, business. It's a business to do. And that's yeah. what everybody in the scenes here are doing. Yeah. Where all of a sudden they're making a salad or they're doing something. And when you're making a salad, that becomes a more natural thing. Way more natural. Yeah, you got something you're, you're focused on. That's exactly Vigo tells right. a funny story about. When there's my third name drop, Vigo Mortensen, and um, I'll just keep going. Keep going. Um, we want you. He, his first role ever was on TV. It was on Miami. No, it wasn't actually his first role, but one of his first roles. It was on Miami Vice, and it was Don Johnson, um, and uh, he he wanted something to do while he was acting. Vigo. So this guy had like a football. He goes, "Hey, throw me the football while we're doing this." So he has, you know, he's thinking of something else, and uh, and he kept still botching his lines up, or he dropped the ball. And, and finally, uh, Don Johnson came over, and he goes, hey, dude, just say the lines. This isn't Hamlet. And he goes, and Vigo said, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and Don Johnson looked at him and said, touche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the things I want to go back is that the first movie you made that you directed, yeah. you had no idea what directing was because someone said to you, uh, you need coverage. Right. And you didn't know what coverage was. I think I found out the night before, actually. <laughs> you didn't know what coverage meant. And coverage means different angles yeah. to shoot that you need a lot of coverage yes, exactly. for while you're shooting someone. You have yeah. to get this angle, that for editing. Yeah. And you didn't know. No. So Here's what happened, is that you know, to get a movie made as a writer, you have to have, you have the script, and then you have to have a, a, a star or somebody who the, they, they'll, the studio wants to make it with and a director. And I kept getting close, but I was nine years. Like, I had Goldie Hawn wanted to do a movie, but she wanted this director. He was unavailable. By the time he was available, she was unavailable. You know, it kept happening over and over and over. Finally, um, Dumb and Dumber, Jim Carrey got interested. And I didn't know Jim Carrey. He was before he did uh, Ace Ventura. He'd already made it, but it wasn't out yet. But I knew white guy on In Living Color. And, but I would have done it with anybody. You know, it was 150 people had passed. And suddenly this guy wants to do it. And we got in the room. He goes, yeah, I'll do this. And the studio was like, yeah, we love him. He has a new movie. It's going to be good. And who's directing? I said, I am. And, and, uh, and they're like... Okay, yeah, all right, you know, nobody questioned it. I kept waiting for people to question, like, wait a second, what have you ever directed? Do you have a reel? <laughs> you have... You've never directed anything? Nothing. Nothing. Not... And you said, I want to do it. I didn't go it. to film school. I went to, for creative writing. I, I didn't do a commercial. I didn't have a video. I had nothing. And I called... No one stopped you. I called a friend of mine who was at UCLA Film School. I said, do you have a reel I could borrow if anybody asked me for one? <laughs> I swear to God. So I had this reel, and it was horrible, by the way. It was really bad. But I would have given that ahead of if they asked and uh, no one ever asked and so we get like you know a couple days in you know before the thing and we're you know doing everything and and um, what I realized is it's not that complicated it's there's a lot of little thing if you're you have a crew and if you're honest with the crew and we were we told them right up front we said listen all of you have made more movies than us and, and know more about movie making than us but we know this script we live this script. I know what I want out of this script, but I don't know the, that angle, the camera, the lenses. I don't know, you know, how to light this up. I don't know all this shit. I want to make, if I'm not getting enough angles, you know, coverage, uh, please tell me, you know, all, and, and, <laughs> no, I'm serious. And, um, and we, you know, we were honest with everybody, so everybody wanted to help. Like, we didn't act like, you know, we knew everything, because we didn't, and we just kind of laid ourselves out there. 
Need your help. Anything you could do ask, to help ask us out. Asking for help. Asking yeah, for help. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, and it wasn't that complicated. I compare it to this. It's like, it's like um, when I was in college, I had a buddy. He got, he said, "God, I wish I, I I need money. I wish I could get a job as a waiter." I, I said, well, "Why can't?" He? he says, "I don't know how to wait tables." I said, "Have you ever eaten in a restaurant?" He goes, yeah. I said, what, they come over, they give you a menu, <laughs> take a drink order, you know, they come back, you got specials, and then they take your order. And they go in the kitchen, and who the hell knows what happens in there, but I'm sure they explain it. It's not that complicated. That's kind of what this is. It's like, if you've seen movies, you kind of get the picture of, honestly, you know, like, more so writing, by the way. Because if you've seen movies, you know there's a certain thing that you have to do, you've set up things. You have to, you know, have a first act that you give a shit about, a hook, you know, something that'll take you along, you know, a good ending, you know, all that stuff. But, um, so we just figuring it out on the, on the spot. And, uh, and by the way, I'd had a couple guys tell me it wasn't that hard. That was the only reason I could go with it. And one was John Hughes, who we pitched Dumb and, Dumb and Dumber, uh, we pitched to John Hughes and he loved it. But he had a falling out with the studio and he left, so he was out of it. But when we pitched it, he looked at me and said, you're directing this. I was like, what? He goes, you're going to direct it. I go, I I've never really directed it. Trust me, it's easy. He goes, you understand the story. you got to direct it. I was like, great. So I got that in my head. And, um, and also the Zucker brothers, who I had worked with, I called them. I said, hey, I got this movie and I'm going to direct it, but I, I don't understand lenses and shit. They go, ah, we don't understand lenses. Don't worry about that. <laughs> no, I said, what? I, I don't know which one to ask for. And they said... Look in the monitor. If they look right, that's the right lens. If they look, if they look like they're too close, say, "Hey, can you put a lens in that makes them look further away?" You know. And basically, that's what we did. It, it, it was it was that kind of thing, just kind of figuring it out. So. It's unbelievable. You're just unbelievable. But you have that kind of uh, go lucky feeling, like it's going to happen. Yeah. That, that you just, that's all going to work out. Yes. You seem to really have faith. There is a big faith part in you that somehow it'll all come. I, when I was in high school, like I said, I was the worst and uh, student. And I was like dead last in my class. And, and, uh, uh, I, I, but I never worried. Like, all my friends would be horrified. Like, oh, Jesus, college, we're not going to get us. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. And I don't know why I had it. I just had this feeling. My father was a doctor. They were ashamed of me. You know, he was like an achiever. And, and he was, like, pulling his hair out, like, God damn it, what are you doing? You know? But I was like, Dad, don't worry about it. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. I just had this. You have that kind of personality. I had the feeling that it was just going to be okay. It's all going to work out. It's just, you know. Because they spent so many, you know, all the sort of new performers always stress. They stress and worry all, most of the time. Yeah. All, and you have, they're like, okay, it's just going to work. Well, I, I, it doesn't always work, that's No, but for I'm sure. saying, but you have but, that, which is what yeah. the attitude I talk about. Yeah. Which is you have to be open for faith. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about going back a little bit to your writing style mm -hmm. is that some people start a script with an ending, yeah. knowing where the ending right. is. Mm -hmm. And you are a screenwriter yeah. that starts where you don't know where the characters no. are going. And you always want to surprise yourself. Well, you know, it's... it's uh, it's not, there's not one way to do this. Anything I tell you today, of course, this isn't the only way to do it. It's my way. I, and I don't always do it the right way. It's just the way I do it. I'm like, you know, if you saw me shoot a basketball, it's not the right way. You know, I have like this like kind of loopy <laughs> style. And it's like, you know, but this is the way I do it. When I was in school, John Irving was a teacher of ours for one week. And he, you know, he wrote, you know, World According to Garp, Cider House Rules. He's won an Oscar too for, I think, Cider House Rules. But he, um, 
uh, I remember he said, he, and his books are long, they're like six to 800 pages long. He says he'll never begin a novel until he knows the last line. And I was like, fuck, you know, that's so smart. <laughs> like, I'm the opposite. And, you know, so obviously there's not one way, his way works. Uh, but my way, and it matters how your brain works. It, my, my, I'm not that organized. Where, like, I don't write all the cards on the thing and do because I don't want to get stuck. I don't want to get like I have to go from here to here to here to here to here. I, I feel like I want to know the opening act. I want to know who the characters are. That's why I think of who, who are these people and why do we like them enough that we're going to follow them. And and I, some people say well, you don't have to like a character. Well, I, I'd argue, I don't care who it is. You like Tony Soprano, he's a mass murderer, but you did kind of like him. You know, there's a likability to these people, you know, and, or at least you feel something for them. Like, there's a, there's a great movie called Downfall about Hitler's last days, and believe it or not, he's in the bunker and he's, it's falling apart, and you're actually feeling something for him. You don't like him, he's, he's Hitler, but you, you, can, you can feel this pain he's going through and you are like it's not pleasant to watch it like that it's a, it's a weird thing so i always create a characters what is it about these characters that you're going to be why how, why are you rooting for them and sometimes like in something about mary you know we went to extreme where right out of the gate he gets dumped nobody will go to prom with him he's getting picked on then he sees the the intellectually challenged kid getting bullied and he steps in and he so and and you know that's a good guy you know, you want to root for that guy. And it turns out that's Mary's brother. He didn't do it because he didn't know that was Mary's brother. But now he's suddenly stumbled upon, you know, Mary. And, and, uh, and, and you know, we like him. We're rooting for him. But later, after, the, you know, Act 1, when he's trying to track her down and, the, and Matt Dillon comes back and says, she's out of control. She's got nine kids. She's on welfare. She's, you know, all sorts of problems. He says... Yeah, well, I still want her number. He goes, what? I just told you she's a wreck. He goes, yeah, but I still feel something. I can't just shut it off. That's the second thing. He's not chasing her because it's, everybody would fall in love with Cameron Diaz. But he doesn't even think she's Cameron Diaz as we know her anymore. And he still wants her. He still feels something. So you're rooting for him. You know, I do that. But anyway, back to your question. Um, <laughs> when we wrote Mary, um, we were probably 50 pages in and we hit a wall. And it was because I knew she's going to end up with Ted. I'm like, the audience knows she's going to end up with Ted. There was like, why go on? Like, you know, it's no matter what, you know they're going to end up together. And we were just stuck for a week. Like, seems silly. What's the whole point of this? And then I saw in the movie Bottle Rocket, Wes Anderson's first movie with the Wilson brothers. That movie starts... These guys have like a five-year plan where they're going to rob mom and pop stores and then they're going to rob banks. They're going to save all this money and they're going to go off into the thing. First night, they stop at a motel. Luke Wilson falls in love with the chambermaid and they don't leave. And the whole movie just goes that way. It's a completely different movie. And I, I realized watching it, yeah, he doesn't have to end up with Mary. You know, it's, that's not important. So I told my brother, watch the movie we talked about, let, let the, let's write it like anything can happen. So from that point forward, we were trying to be fair to the other characters, to, you know, everybody, you know, Matt Dillon and this and Brett Favre and all, the th all those guys, I was fair to them. Like, she could have ended up with any of them. We weren't thinking she's ending up with Ted. We were thinking, in fact, she'll end up with Brett Favre. And that was going to be the ending. But once we hooked her with Brett Favre, when we're writing it and we're three pages from the end, we thought, well, now everybody thinks she's with Brett Favre. <laughs> Let's give her to Ted.
So we did it, like, we didn't even know she was gonna end up with Ted. We wrote it that way. And that's how I like to write. I don't wanna know. If I know it, it's not satisfying, I need to find it as I write and hope that it comes, you know? It, it, you know, just keep yourself open. The thing about Dumb and Dumber, there's something very interesting about the ending of the movie mm -hmm. uh, where you think that they, one of them would end up with the girl. Yeah. But they don't end up with the girl in right. Dumb and Dumber. You all remember the movies? Yeah. Uh, he just, they end up with something that I feel from you, which is about friendship. It's about yeah. the fact that they still have each other. Yeah. Yeah, they, they're, yeah, we, the studio wanted, and even that, at the very end when the bus pulls up. Yeah. You know, uh, remember and that movie? That's the thing. Movie. And the studio <laughs> said, well, you got to get them on that bus. And I was like, no. No, they're not dumb and got smarter. <laughs> dumb and dumber. And right at the end, like that's so the funny. one, the good head fake where you think, oh, it's gonna end up well oh, for them. But they're, they're it's all the way back there, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, the studio's like, yeah, but the audience wants a happy ending. I think, no, they don't. They don't want a happy ending, they want the right ending. You know, they want the, the, the ending. And, and the other thing I'll tell you is, in that movie, going back to the heart thing I talked about, there's one scene early on when, you know, Jim meets, you know, Lauren and, and he's like, you know, and he comes back and he tells, uh, you know, uh, Harry, he goes, come on, Harry, let's go to, you know, let's go out to, you know, Aspen. He goes, you know, and, and Lloyd, uh, Harry's like, no way, I'm not going out there, Lloyd. Not, not one of your ideas. And Lloyd looks out the window, he goes, come on, man. He goes, I don't have anything. I don't have anybody. And he plays it completely straight. And he actually wells up. Jim Carrey's an unbelievable actor. He can turn it on like that. And he wells up at the window. And, and Lloyd, Harry's like, okay, get over here. Let's do it. And they go. Well, the studio called us when they saw the dailies. said, get rid of that shit. That's horrible. I was like, what? They said, this is a comedy. You don't want that. That was like corny. I said, in two minutes, he's selling a dead bird to a blind kid in a wheelchair. <laughs> That's fine. You better like him. You better like this guy. Or the movie's over at that point. And you do like him from that little moment. It's like, you know, the, the TV show um, uh, Eastbound and Down. You know, that guy's a total asshole, right? But in the pilot, the pilot episode, he's mean to everybody. He's racist. He's, you know, misogynist. He's everything bad about him. But they show him he gets in bed one night, and he's at his sister's house, and he's been yelling at everybody, picking on the kids and everything. He lies in bed, and all of a sudden he goes... <laughs> and he goes to pieces. And you think, okay, there's a lot of pain in this guy. I'll stick with him. And that's why you stay with that asshole for so long, you know, because of moments like that. Let's hear for Peter, Mike. Oh, thanks. You are attached to many different things in this industry, and one of them is Seinfeld. Now, how are you connected with Seinfeld? Because you were, that was before yeah. they did the TV show, right? Right. Or, no, it was when... When they started uh, doing it. Yes. Well, when Seinfeld came on, you know, that was the hottest TV show of all time, at that time. You know, anybody, like, uh, that we were like, this is just groundbreaking TV. Right. It's, it is. It's, you know, some people still consider it the best TV show of all time, and it could be. It's that good. Was that, how were you involved with that? Uh, well, we were writing, and we were writing movie after movie, and then, but we loved that show, so we asked to go in and pitch some ideas to them, and our agent got us in the door, and we pitched, and we sold the Virgin episode, oh, uh, you, know, you know, which is, precedes the masturbation episode. It kind of leads into that, 
And we sold a couple other episodes. And, um, but they didn't hire us on staff, and we were devastated. We were like, God, you know, we wanted to be on that more than, that would have been like... The dream that, job. Yeah, well, it was the hottest, you know, it was the hottest show ever. And we wanted that more than anything, but we didn't get it, and then a year later, we're making Dumb and Dumber, and, you know, thank God we didn't get that, because then we never, I wouldn't be making movies. I'd probably be doing, you know, I would have gone down that TV road. Yeah, you never know when something bad happens that is actually something good. Well, that's the other thing. This is the other thing I always believe is don't, uh, you, the, try to get what you think is right. But if you don't get it, sometimes that's not a bad thing. Like, you know, Dumb and Dumber, Jim Carrey, honestly, was the 150th person we offered the script to. And everybody passed. Everybody. Every single guy. Guys on commercials who nobody had ever heard of, like, we saw, we were like, what about that guy? And we, we, you know, we just liked his look, and he passed. I'm like, how the fuck can this commercial guy be passing? <laughs> commercial people are passing. It was unbelievable. And, um, and, and then we got Jim Carrey, and he was the perfect guy. So sometimes, like, if you don't get everything you want, the universe gets to do a little work. And sometimes it's better than you could have thought of. You know, you're not, I know I'm not, I can't figure everything out. You know, you think you can, you think you want everything, but sometimes, you know, let, screw it up so that something better happens. Or let, don't worry about it if you don't get that thing. Because maybe there's saying, look, just calm down. We're gonna be right back at you with something better. Seriously, and that is, uh, that's what's happened to me a lot. And so. Actually, I got to the point where when people would pass on a script, I was like, fine, I don't care. You know, it's like, I know we're going to get something better. But then the universe fucked me over a couple times. <laughs> and never didn't. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> that wasn't better than that, you know? So I went back to really pushing, like, come on, do this move. Like, Vigo didn't want to do it. I had to talk That's right. Into it. Now, that is one of the most incredible performances for Vigo Mortensen. Yeah. 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 That has to be the strangest casting to think that he could do that. How did you feel that? I mean, he was brilliant, in it, but how did you think that he could play? I think any good actor can play any role. That's what I always think. And I, I always thought that from the beginning with, with, with uh, Jeff Daniels. Again, the studio, when we got J Jim, I said, they said, who do you want? I said, I want Jeff Daniels. I said, what? No, he's not a comic actor. I said, he's a great actor. He doesn't, he's not writing it. He's just acting it. And they were like, no. And they fought us and fought us until Jim said, no. I, he read with him and said, this is the guy. We, and we won because Jim supported us. But um, I've always felt that. Like, any good actor. So I knew Vigo. I've seen him in enough things. To know, he hasn't really done a big comedy, but Never. I knew he could. I wow. knew he could knock it out of the park because he's so good. I mean, Italian. We have so many Italian yeah. actors. You would think you'd pick one of those guys. But you didn't. Which I, did, I love it. I did. I did. You know, I was struggling with that. Like, I did look around at, like, you know, who would that guy be? And I actually at one point was talking to um, Travolta because I love Travolta. But he, he just seemed a little older. Right. And, you know, um, yeah. So, uh, no, I just knew he would be the right guy. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. He gained 45 pounds for the role, too. Yeah. And, what and, a great movie! And he 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 was, he was just unbelievable. Like you know, he just did. He he's the guy. Who, he crossed the T's, dots the I's. You know that little rock, then the movie, the Green Stone. Like you know, he read the script, and then he comes in one Saturday. We're in pre-production. He's got like thirty of them, and he's like, "Hey, I went around town. We're in New Orleans. He goes, I went to like twenty places. I got these, and he lays them out, and they're all different sizes. He goes, "Which one do you like?" I was like. 
which one do you like? And he goes, I really like this one. I said, let's use that one. <laughs> but he, he went, like, he wanted to know which rock, you know. He, he really wanted to think about it, like, have the exact right one. He, he wore the, you know, the, the crucifix that the real Tony Lip wore. You know, he did, he gained 45 pounds. You know, he did everything. It's unbelievable. There's so, there's so many beautiful lines in the film, but certainly, I mean, it just grabs you. It's, it's so heartwarming. It's so positive. But there's a line that I just, once it, I heard it, it just hit me, which was, falling in love with you was the easiest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Who came up with that? That line? might have been in the actual letters. That's what I heard. Yeah. We Nick, had uh, 67 letters from that trip because it actually went over a year. That trip, we dipped the first part of it that ended on Christmas Eve, but they continued, and we just moved and put things in the order we wanted to put them in. We didn't hold to how it went; it wouldn't have been as interesting, and so we moved them around. And uh, yeah, I think it might have I been think, one of the Nick, I think Nick said, yeah. said that it was falling in love. Well, with the first ages. letters were like literally like you, like, "Hi, I'm in Macon. I love you. <laughs> Kiss the kids," and 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 then and you could see it gradually get better and better and better. And that's Doc Shirley. Yeah. A Mahershala performance. It's here for yeah. him, Academy yeah. Award winner. Yeah. You, you directed, you directed a man who won an Academy Award. Yeah. And there's very few directors, uh, you know, who can say that, and, yeah. and you can do. I mean, that's an incredible performance, especially the one outside the car, when he talks about I'm not white enough, I'm not black yeah. enough. Yeah. I mean, no, he's amazing. He's amazing. They're both unbelievable. You know, that's why at the end when we won the thing, I pointed out Vigo because Mahershala has his Oscars and Vigo didn't get it. And I wanted to point out that, you know, he was the first guy on board and, you know, we didn't have anybody. We had the script. We couldn't get a studio to have any interest in it. I wrote a long letter to Vigo, got it through his agent, like, you know, please read the first 30 pages. This is the departure for me. I just see you doing this. And he read it right away and he came back and he was like, I don't know, I don't know if I could do this. He's like, I don't look like that guy. I said, nobody knows who he looks like. He's like, you're not playing Abe Lincoln. You know, the, <laughs> like, what does that mean? He goes, yeah, but I want to look like that. I want to feel like the guy. I go, well, put on this fat suit. He goes, I don't do that. He goes, I'm gonna, if I, I'm gonna, I want to feel that weight on me. I want to feel it. I don't want to. 45 pounds. Uh. He ate a lot of pizza. He ate everything. Uh, they ate everything. Ate everything. Oh my God! Yeah. And by the way, he's as good a guy as you would hope he would be, Vigo. I hate to break it to you. No, he's a sweet. Like I'll call him on a Saturday and like, hey, uh, what are you doing? He goes, I was just writing some poems. I'm like, you're what? He goes, I'm just sitting here writing some poems. I was like, okay, well, we're going down to the bar if you want to join us. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll come by after when I wrap this up. Okay. Yeah, I was like. We have a lot of actors here who, uh, we have about 50 actors from 20 countries. Mm -hmm. And what piece of advice would you give actors when they come to LA? What would you tell them? What are some of the things that you, what are three pieces of advice you would say? Listen, if you're in LA, here are three things you should do. Ooh, boy, that's a tough one. Um, uh, I always feel like, you know, the actors, it's, it's, it's in some ways hardest for actors because it's hard to get better if you're not working. It, you know, unless you're taking classes like this or you're, or, or you're, or you're you know, in, in a you know, acting workshop, stuff like that. I always would recommend you do that because as a writer, I know I improved a lot. It took me nine years to get a movie made, but I wasn't as good in the beginning as I was at the end because I just kept writing, writing and writing and writing, and I got better and better and better. And, it, it, you know, so... 
any chance you can to keep acting. I don't care what you're doing, like in some workshop with friends, whatever you do, it's going to help. It's, you're going to improve. Um, that, that's number one. And the other thing is, if you could find, like, you really got to, you know, control your own destiny. And it is, and, and so I would say, just always be looking for scripts. You know, find a script. Like, there's a million writers out here. You know, you probably know a lot of them. Read their scripts. You know, find something. It's like, you know, how, you know, uh, or, or write your own script if you can. I mean, it's not for everybody. But if you can, it's just, like I always say, it's the, it's the uh, Wes Anderson, Owen Wilson school of getting into business. They just wrote a little short. They made it. Uh, and they put it in film festivals all over. It got some attention. People were like, well, that's good. Maybe you should turn that into a feature length. And that was Bottle Rocket. And so, you know, they didn't sit around waiting for it to happen. Same thing with, uh, you know, uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. You know, they went off and did it. It's like, it's hard to get noticed. And so anything you could do, and by the way, not everybody can write, and if you can't, don't. You know, seriously, don't waste your time. Find somebody you can, and find a script or a role that you like, and then, you know, you raise a couple grand, and you go off, and you make your little thing, and you try to catch lightning in a bottle. Just find some little thing. It can happen, but don't wait around. Like, make it, you know, I, I just always encourage people to take control. And create your own opportunity. Yeah. Write, do whatever, reach out, make things happen. Yeah. Like, there's just people, like, you know, like, when I was, I remember, like, you know, uh, uh, just meeting, like, when I met an actor, like, you know, it, when you get out, you know, you meet people, you know, you, you meet a lot of people, find out, what do you do, writer, can I rerun these scripts? Boom. You know, I like this, you know, or, or find somebody, you know, just try to find something that you can do, but also work as much as you can. I don't care, you know, just keep it working because you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow by just thinking about acting for six months. You're going to grow by acting, and you're going to grow as a writer by writing. And, you know. And you just got to grow, period, yeah. as a human being. Tell me a little bit about uh, your uh, upbringing. How do you think it, it shaped you in some way? What, how did your upbringing shape you who I mean you did yeah. you lived in a small town yeah uh, you didn't see many films no uh, there's like you saw two films a year or something yeah so you didn't even see that many films and how do you think that shaped you because you have sort of that your family um, your I had a good I had a good childhood yeah. I mean you know it's like it's a I mean it was a traditional in that time childhood where you did something wrong Whoosh. You know, knock it off, you know, get a backhand from the old man. But it wasn't it, like people, like I tell my wife that today, she goes, oh, you know, I said, no, but it's like never for, no, never for nothing, you know. <laughs> it was like if I was really out of line, I'd get back of the head, come on, knock it off, you know. <laughs> but I, but I, I always knew that, you know, I felt I had a very secure childhood. I had, you know, f parents married, you know, five kids, uh, father, doctor, mother, nurse, you know, it was, uh, I, I, always, I always felt, you know, hopeful, and 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 uh, you know, I felt like a disappointment. Of course, most of those years because I was always not the number one thing in my family was grades. You know, that was it. If you had, you know, they judge you on your grades. So I was at the bottom of the barrel. You yeah, know, you, she then, we like, like her little ass, her little <laughs> him and that guy, <laughs> idiot. And so, how is it now with the family? Are you like a star in the family? Things change. Um, you know, I'm telling you the truth. From the moment I, when I decided to become a writer, my, I, I think I earned my parents' respect at that moment. Whether it ever worked out, they were like, good for you. I, I remember I was embarrassed to tell them, because I thought, I said, what are you, dope, don't, what did, 
don't be an idiot. But they were like, really? Okay, good. You know, they were happy that... You found something that you like. Something that I was going to go for. I had never, you know, I had never gone for it. And that's what you guys were all doing. And that's the hardest part. Going is to make distance. That, make that commitment. That's the hardest thing. And that's what get, that separates you from 99% of the world is they can't do that. They don't have the nerve. They don't, you know, it's just too scary. And when I made that jump into the unknown, there was like, I think that at that moment forward, they, they, from then on, I had their respect. What is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Oh boy. Um, okay, well, it, it, the best piece of advice I've ever been given, I, well, one of them was, okay, as a writer, this is really good advice. My agent told me this. I used to send out scripts. I said, hey, we're trying to make this script. Do you want to read it or something? And my agent said, don't ever say you're trying to make the script because they think you can't make it, that you're having trouble making it. You're trying, it's not getting made. And so people think if they need me to get this made, it can't be very good. So we'd always send out and say, we're making this script. And he, I said, he said, just say you're making it. I said, yeah, but how, that's not true. He goes, how much money you got in the bank? I was like, I don't know, 1,200 bucks? He goes, and you're making it for 1,200 bucks. Wow. That's what you're making it for. So in your head, you're making it, okay. So from that point forward, we send out, and that started with Dumb and Dumber. It's like, we're making this movie, you want in? Well, no one wants to miss the train. Now they're like, I better look at this. They're making it. They're you making know. a film, right. Yeah, I better take a look. And that's the truth. And suddenly, people were looking at the thing. We weren't saying we're trying to make it. We're making it. You want in? You know, people started looking at it. I'll tell you that my other advice, and, and it goes back, it's just common sense, of course. But if you get ever in a position to be able to make a movie, you must treat everybody, you know, of course this makes sense to everybody, but you've got to go out of your way to make everybody feel like part of the pro process. You know, it, and if you do, they're going to all work as a team, but if you, if you act like you're the big, you know, leader guy, and you know, you're, it's all up here and you're the genius and they're just doing your little thing, <laughs> ain't working. And if you ever, ever snap at anybody, you're, it, the thing falls apart, and you. By the way, when you're making a movie, you want to. You get edgy, you know. All day long, you're getting. You know, you have these long days, and people come. Bah, 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 bah. What about this? How about that? And then all of a sudden, the hair woman comes over. She goes, "Hey, what do you want the cop's hair to look like?" I'm like, "You want to go? How about like a fucking cop?" So you go. Um, you you pick it. Okay. And they go off, you know. But if you snap at her and say, are you a fucking idiot? I got fucking, what is the cop here? Don't do that. You know, well, it's all over. Because it goes like ding, 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 ding. And she's, she's working on the actor, and she's I don't like him. And the actor's like, what? He's nice to me. Yeah, he's nice to you. He's not nice to me. And then it's like this feeling of like everything goes apart, you know. And, and you never do that. You know, you treat everybody, you know, and it's sometimes it's, it, it, you know, you're under stress. So you've seen, you know, videotapes of people f losing it. Don't. <laughs> oh. We are so honored that we have an Academy Award winner. And I want, what I want to know is what was that experience like when they're calling out your name and you're coming on? Because it could have been this other film, yeah. you know, it was a thing. And we were really, I mean, as I said, I was supporting because I love it and I think it's such an important film. Uh, tell me, what was it like? to win an Academy Award. What is, that's, I just, tell it, me what you're it, it was, uh, you know, it was surreal. 
uh, like it still feels surreal. You know, it's been um, two you days. Know, Three days, two days, whatever. Wednesday, three days. Yeah, it's it's uh and and everybody everywhere I've gone, you know, people are like, you know, people are. It hasn't sunk in for me. It's for right. my friends, they're more excited. Like I saw, his he he made a video of him watching at his school or you know at UCLA, and there was like ten guys. Rah! You know, throwing shit upside down. But also, I'm thinking, I'm watching, I'm thinking like, okay, get your shit together, your talking points. You know, don't, don't fuck up. Don't lose this. Don't forget that. And, and come up and, and, you know, you know, just don't forget to say the right thing. Uh, so I'm just thinking that. Like, don't mess up. Don't mess up. Get up there and do your right thing. And they tell you from the moment, you know, when you go to the Academy breakfast, like a month ago, they say, luncheon, yeah. yeah, luncheon, they say from the moment that you, um, they call your name, you have a minute and a half, and that's including the walk up. So you're running up, you're like, you know, you want to get up there, and, and uh, um, you know, you just, you just, uh, it, it really, honestly, it probably hasn't hit me, and it probably won't hit me for another week or two. Yeah. It's, 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 it's unbelievable, but you also won two. You didn't. Yeah. Let's see for two-time winner. He was Bernard early on was saying you're going to win the Academy. Like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, he's like, yeah, no, you guys are going to win. I was like, eh, you know, I, there's so many good movies out there. Roma, you know, Roma could, you know, this. Roma's got you remember eight, eighty million dollars yeah. of uh, publicity and yeah, uh, p p but it's also, I mean, the way that that guy's genius, you know. <laughs> yeah. He's unbelievable. Like, if they won, I would have been very happy. No, no, I know you would. You, yeah. you have that spirit. But I just, I just had a feeling yeah. that yeah. you were going to win. Yeah. And I saw you when I saw you in the Golden Globes. We talked about it. And, uh, and so... It's, it's nice. It is, it is great. But I'm telling you, like, it's... it's a, no, it's an amazing thing. You know, it's, it, it just is. But it's not, like... Again, it wasn't, like, something my, my whole life was dreaming about. Like, right. my, one of my producers... He was like, I've dreamt about this since I was six years old. I said, Why? Really? He goes, Yeah. I said, What do you drink? He goes, I, To win an Oscar. I said, Really? I, I that wouldn't have been something I ever thought. I'm happy to have it. Very happy. No, but, no, no. Listen, but for now, that you'll always be an Academy yeah, Award nominee. Let me tell you something winner. else too. This is important. When I was in your spot, when I was like, in, you know, coming up, you know, bringing it up. I, I was having a ball. I was really having fun. Like, you guys have, you deserve to have fun because you're brave. And don't torture yourselves. Like, you know, you've made this thing, so enjoy your lives. You know, you've done it. You've made this commitment. And, and you should be real proud of yourself. But also, like, don't beat yourself up if you're sleeping until 11 because you're up 2 in the morning working and you're thinking, I shouldn't be sleeping at 11. I, you know, most people are at work now. Fuck them. You're, you're, you've, you've, you've done, like... I would I would work till five six in the morning and then sleep till like three in the afternoon. I could hear cars going like <laughs> kids coming home from school, and there's that little part of you thinking you should get up. This isn't healthy, but but you you should enjoy your lives because you you really don't wait to enjoy yourself because I'm telling you the God's honest truth. I was just as happy before I ever made a movie as after I made a movie. There's no extra happiness. It's great. To make a movie, but it's the same amount of happiness that you're going to feel before. So if you're not happy now, it suddenly you don't make a movie and suddenly become really happy. 
You've got to find happiness. It comes from another place. It doesn't come from making movies, and it doesn't come from the Oscars. Like I told my wife, my wife's like, where are we going to put him? We're going to put him on the bookshelf. I said, no fucking way. I'm putting him in a drawer somewhere and hiding him away because I don't want my kids walking in that house thinking like every day, like, oh, that's, you know, that's what we're striving for. No, that's not what they're striving for. They're striving to be who they are. Yeah. Let's hear it for the fire land.